This podcast is brought to you by Molecular Devices. With its innovative life science technology, Molecular Devices makes scientific breakthroughs possible for academic, pharmaceutical, government, and biotech customers. Head to moleculardevices.com to find out more. everyone, I'm Victoria Reese, editor of Drug Target Review, and I have the pleasure of being your host for this episode of Drug Target Review's podcast, brought to you by Molecular Devices. Today, I'm joined by Hilary Sherman, Senior Application Scientist at Corning Life Sciences, and Oksana Serenko, Research Scientist at Molecular Devices. We'll be discussing 3D imaging, organoid research, and important considerations for imaging workflows. So let's get to know our speakers. Hilary, would you be able to give our listeners a bit of background to yourself? Sure. So I've been working for Corning almost about 16 years now. The entire time I've been working in the applications lab, which is our laboratory that's devoted to writing protocols, generating white papers and posters for how our products can be utilized. And, you know, the last five years or so, a lot of my focus has been around 3D cell culture, organoids, and those types of applications. So this is a topic that I'm really excited about and find fascinating, and I'm very happy to be here. Thanks so much. Oksana, could you also tell us a bit about yourself? Absolutely. I'm Oksana Sirenko. I'm senior scientist at Molecular Devices. So before joining Molecular Devices, I work in biotech for quite a time. So I work at drug development and drug discovery. But after I joined Molecular Devices, I'm working on assay development, mostly for imaging And now my focus is using 3D cell models for imaging, and also we work on automation of these assays. Brilliant. Thank you both so much. So I wanted to start by outlining how 3D systems can aid in disease research and drug development. Also, if you have any thoughts on the benefits of 3D systems over 2D. Sure. You know, so 3D has had just tremendous interest in recent years. And I think researchers are just really seeing the value that 3D cell models bring compared to more traditionally used 2D models. If you think about the organs in your body, nothing is two-dimensional, right? Everything is three-dimensional. Thinking about cancer research, tumors are three-dimensional structures, not two-dimensional structures. And in terms of the behavior of the cells, that can have a really big impact. When you're talking about three-dimensional structures, there's a lot more cell-cell interaction from the contact and the way the cells are organized. Um, There's a big difference in terms of waste production and how waste has to leave the center of a three-dimensional structure compared to the outside edges of three-dimensional structure. Nutrients entering a three-dimensional structure or oxygen, pH gradients, these all occur in a three-dimensional structure and occur in vivo. But when we culture cells in a two-dimensional form, we don't see that. And these aspects can have a really big impact on cell biology and the effectiveness of drugs. And so it's really important to model our cells in three-dimensional cultures whenever possible. 
So I would like to add those 3D systems are getting increasingly popular since those believed to better represent biology. And so instead of binding to plastic plates, cell interact with each other, with matrices, they better represent densities, oxygen levels, nutrient penetration, drug accessibility. And so 3D structures, whether it's spheroids, organoids, or organ on chip, represent transition between cells and tissues and organs. So there's clearly a huge benefit to using these 3D systems over 2D. So I wanted to delve a bit deeper into using organoids now. But before we do, can we just define exactly what organoids are? Yeah, that's actually a really good question to ask. And I think, you know, depending on who you ask, you might get slight variation in in the definition. But I think commonly it's accepted that organoids differ from what at least I would call a spheroid in the sense that organoids tend to stem from or form from a stem or progenitor cell, which means that it differentiates into multiple cell types that creates the actual organ model, as opposed to a spheroid where we're actually just creating a cluster of maybe one cell type, maybe two cell types, something along those lines. But with organoids, there's actually an orientation to the cells in terms of how they they form the three-dimensional structure, which better mimics what's actually going on in the body. There's polarity. There is often an emptiness to the center of the structure called the lumen, in which case it, again, better recapitulates the actual organ compared to a spheroid, which is more like a dense, compact structure, in which case the cells don't really have any orientation or polarity to them. So in a summary, organoids, those are cell clusters, which represent more than one cell types, which typically represent the certain tissue. And also they represent organization, at least some organization of the tissues. And they typically represent at least some functionality of given tissue. Yeah, exactly. And and I would also add just in terms of the basic techniques for culturing organoids versus 3D models, there are differences. 3D cell cultures can be grown on um, low attachment plastic wear because there's no sort of orientation to the cells. It's really just a matter of preventing the cells from attaching, which means a low attachment coated product might work well for generating the 3D structure. The model may not require an ECM such as matrigel matrix or collagen. But with organoids, because it's a much more complex structure and polarity and differentiation are involved, Typically, biological hydrogels, uh, such as matrigel matrix, are required in order to signal to the cells so that the cells actually orient properly in order to form that organoid. So they tend to be also more biologically complex and require more complex techniques in order to actually maintain them in cell culture. What is the importance and what are some of the main advantages of using organoids in research? Yeah, so recently there has been a lot of interesting research around using patient-derived organoids in order to better model the actual individual in which the cells came from. Most notably, this has been done in cystic fibrosis research. And, and cystic fibrosis is, you know, a devastating disease in which there's mutations, the CFTR gene, and there can be multiple mutations or multiple different types of mutations that can 
impact the patient's ability to regulate fluid in in certain organs like the intestine or in the lungs. And so it makes it really difficult to treat this disease because there's no one medicine or cure for, for every patient. And so some of the revolutionary research that's been done in this field is to actually take biopsies from the patient in order to screen their organoids against panels of drugs and determine what is the best drug for that particular patient. And then I think there's a lot of interest in, in also doing this for cancer because we know different people's cancers respond differently to chemotherapeutics. And so instead of just offering standard of care treatment to a particular patient, there's the hope that maybe we could actually figure out what's the best drug choice for a particular patient's cancer. So I think organoids bring that to the table, and that's something that spheroids really can't accomplish because we're talking about that patient-specific response. Those are very good points, uh, Hilary, and I just wanted to add that it's really, really actively developing area, and this um, uh, personalized medicine, it's really kind of um, exploding area of research, and so it's very popular now to derive and grow organoids and tumoroids from tumor tissues. And so those could be derived from multiple patients, which maybe represent some rare subtype of cancer. Uh, for example, we had collaboration with Tulan University, which work on triple negative breast cancer samples, which notoriously resistant to uh, traditional medicine. And then kind of those uh, organoids could be used to screen for a specific drug or treatment or drug combination which would be efficient for this specific patient. And so this benefit kind of general research, so allowing to research different subtypes of disease, but also it may actually even be applicable for specific patient treatments. Yeah, that's a good point, Oksana, that it's not even just about personalized medicine. It's also about creating better libraries for drug screening, you know, because many diseases like cancer have a lot of variety to them. Having better panels or libraries of cancer organoids that could be screened against a particular drug, you know, maybe you find that this particular drug works for four out of five patients, whereas another drug maybe works for only two of the five patients, so might allow for better drug discovery campaigns. Definitely. So obviously there are clear advantages there, but what are some of them the unique complexities of organoid research compared to other methods? You know, I sort of mentioned briefly that when you're creating three-dimensional structures such as spheroids that are much more simple, you can utilize plates that have been coated with a low attachment coating to just repel the cells from attaching in order to form a three-dimensional structure. And so working with these products, you know, it's, it's actually quite similar to working with more traditional two-dimensional cell cultures. So the learning curve is just a lot easier when you're working with more simple spheroids. But when you start working with organoids, it becomes much more complex. The media formulations are extremely complex and the reagents are expensive. There's a lot of growth factors that need to be added for the organoids in order to maintain their undifferentiated state. Additionally, ECMs are required in order to maintain the polarized organoid and maintain it in culture. And these hydrogels can be challenging to work with for those 
who have never worked with hydrogels like matrogel before, it is kind of like a viscous liquid when it's kept at four degrees. But then as it's heated towards room temperature or 37 degrees, it actually gels and solidifies. And that's how you can encapsulate your cells. But because it's sticky and because it needs to be kept cold in order to remain fluid, that poses some problems in terms of the liquid handling when you're working with the, the matrogel in these cultures. So that can also be more challenging, especially in a high throughput setting. And additionally, in, in terms of the actual imaging, when you're trying to image a 3D structure that's embedded in a hydrogel, that can also pose some problems and require some additional optimization. So some other complexity of this technologies and research is there is protocols and methods still evolving. So it's big variety of methods and approaches. So the matrigel is very unique and very valuable resource which allowed to grow organoids from different tissues, but also there are kind of development of some synthetic matrices uh, for growth, which it's a lot of complexity in this area. And some other organoids include different steps of development. So, for example, it starts from IPC-derived cells, which is 2D culture. Then it's kind of get differentiated also in 2D in some precursor cells, like is it cardiac or neuronal or liver or intestinal. And then those cells could be either expanded further or kind of frozen down, like pre-differentiated cells. And after that, there are multiple protocols. So it could be plated into matrigel and require replating, or they grow for some time without replating for weeks or months. Some very complex protocol like Knoblich-Lancaster protocol for brain organoid includes multiple steps. So you embed, you form spheroids first, and then you embed them in matrigel, and they started to differentiate into neuronal lineage. Then you actually wash them out of matrigel and put in a shaker, and they grow for many months on a shaker and develop these huge organoids like four millimeter in width. Or it could be cardiac organoids, which also develop and start to contract um, uh, spontaneously. So are there any other important considerations for cultures and imaging? Whether you're doing spheroid work or organoid work, imaging in general can be a little bit more challenging in terms of requiring more optimization than what researchers might traditionally be used to with two-dimensional cell culture. Understanding the additional optimization around time and concentration for staining and permeabilization, because penetration into a 3D structure is just very different than penetration of cells in a, a 2D monolayer. It just takes longer. Sometimes permeabilization buffers might need to be increased in concentrations or antibodies might need to incubate longer or be at a higher concentration in order to actually access all of the cells. So we may say that typical workflow for organoids resembles standard assay settings. So cells need to be plated into tissue culture plates and then incubated with media exchange compound addition, which followed by imaging and analysis. But organoid culture presents additional challenges. 
First, the plate format is typically different. So it includes matrigel, matrigel dons, U-shape, low attachment plates, or even like organ on a chip structures, which require special features and effective focusing to enable efficient imaging. But those challenges are relatively easy to overcome using advanced focusing setting. For example, typically it uh, has a wider search for optimal focus and then take this stack of images instead of single image. When cells or organoids stained, typically reagent selected needs to penetrate this 3D structure, which takes additional time. So we allow additional time for staining, typically minimum two hours, while with 2D culture, it usually like takes half an hour. And then different washing steps need to be minimized. In the protocol we use for reliability staining or cell painting, we add mix of the dyes in one step and then incubate it for a prolonged amount of time, like typically two hours, and then do fixing cells overnight and fixing step also typically perform for a longer time, uh, for two hours at least. Confocal imaging typically used for better quality of images. So multiple images taken through the volume with different Z-plane, typically like 5 to 10 microns apart. And imaging is very successful through matrigel or organoids, which have cavity or lumen inside. Imaging through dense spheroid is more difficult and allows only partial penetration into the object. And the penetration depth depends on a sample, magnification, staining. Typically, fixed samples treated with clear reagent allow better penetration into the sample. The most important part is not only imaging, but image analysis, which allow characterized object and present phenotypes and treatment differences as a numbers. And so genetic analysis like cell count or cell scoring, near right outgrowth, could be performed using existing analysis models. But during cell analysis, software analyze each of the image separately and then information converted and combined into 3D space. More complex analysis allow characterized objects inside of objects. For example, find cells inside organoids, and characterize also some non-round objects like angiogenic sprouts or any um, right outgrowth. So they can get different readouts like cell count inside organoids, cell characterization inside organoids, length of the sprout or neuroids. So it's a lot of opportunities for that. Thanks so much. So, Oksana, I appreciate uh, you have already mentioned confocal microscopy. So I just wanted to ask if you had anything to add about this imaging modality in terms of 3D imaging. Yes. um, uh, So confocal microscopy is critical for organoid uh, imaging. And typically, to image through the object, confocal images taken starting from the bottom of the object and moving to the top uh, with uh, spaces like number of microns apart. For confocal microscopy, there is a tool inside which you call a spinning disk technology, which allows to obtain greater clarity of images, in particular slice, while rejecting light from surrounded areas. Imagine when you want to see something more clearly, you squint 
often. So this spinning disc, it has a holes there with different sizes. And so looking, uh, allowing images to go through that spinning disc actually rejects light from unfocused areas and allow very sharp presentation of image. And so you get this clear slices images through organoids or through this your 3D objects. And then software can actually reconstitute and put it together. You can actually see this very nice reconstituted images of 3D objects with rotation and different visualization. This is very attractive, but more important is to get measurements and information out of this analysis. And so the analysis gives multiple readouts. So obviously it will give you number of organoids, their size, area or volume, also density, shape assessment, distance between objects. And in addition, it will give you information about objects inside of objects, like for cells inside the organoids or even subcellular structures inside the cells. Brilliant. So could you give an example of a workflow? Yes. So we have developed a number of assays using organoids. So the most simple case was using spheroids where aggregate into U-shaped plates. So most often it used for cancer research. So we have done studies in the past with conventional cell lines, but also recently with this customer-derived cell lines, which also grow in uh, 3D tumoroids. So that was those um, triple negative breast cancer samples, which I mentioned before. So those actually were grown and then treated with compounds. So we use uh, the library of approved anti-cancer drugs uh, and to use drug treatment for like five days. And after that, we stain them using live stains for viability, and then image using confocal automated imaging system and analyzed. During the culture, spheroids become different size because they grow differently, because some of these compounds inhibit growth, and also cells may be dying or they get in, spheroids getting disintegrated, and those could be measured by different numbers and uh, present number of for viability, for uh, cell count and also for the shape of those spheroids. And the most interesting studies were done with um, cardiac organoids. So those actually grow in 3D and started to contract. You can image them uh, using imaging system and kinetic readouts. And then you can actually analyze those patterns, which is affected by different compounds. For example, if you use like uh, epinephrine or uh, some other stimulants, they started to beat faster and you can measure it. Or if you use some other compound, which may be cardiac toxic, you can see changes in a pattern. And the same story was with some of these neuroorganoids. They have these calcium spikes and you can also measure um, frequency or intensity of those spikes and effect of drugs. So this is fascinating possibility and is helpful to define drug toxicity or drug efficacy. Definitely is. So 
what are some of the bottlenecks of 3D imaging? I'd like to just go over a few of them. Yes, so some, some of those are, as we mentioned, is out-of-focus light, which is uh, kind of important to have the spinning disk confocal technology to diminish that um, effect. So it actually works pretty well with confocal imaging and also some additional tools like water immersion uh, is important to improve quality and sharpness of images. So also, because it's a spinning disk which has a holes in it, so amount of light which you measure is much weaker than in a wide field imaging. And so that's why it typically requires a longer acquisition time. And to overcome the challenge, we're using now the light, powerful light sources like lasers. So we have several lasers which are used as a light source and you have a much stronger signal than typical LED light source. And also you have actually better separation of the spectrum. So you can actually do some studies like cell painting, in, including in organoids, um, uh, which uh, allows you to have more information about subcellular structures and different uh, markers at the same time. So also important is reliable uh, focusing. So there are different options for focusing, and some of them actually have initial wider focusing range, and also you can have a image-based focusing and also like hardware-based focusing. There are different options which allow you to focus some plates and cells in a gels and can get good focus, initial focus. And then you have this Z-stack instead of single image, which allows you to cover different range of this object. And so one of the common uh, problem is uh, difficult light penetration. Uh, so to overcome that, uh, so there are several improvements. So one of them is water using water immersion, which helps to get better match between uh, refracting index between the sample and objective, and also using clearing agents uh, often allows to get uh, much better imaging. So there are kind of challenges, but there are also technical tools and technical features which allow to overcome those challenges. Brilliant. Thank you. So overall then, why is it important to invest in 3D imaging processes and what are some of then the advantages of doing so? Uh, because of complexity of uh, organoid research, automation is really important to make the workflow easier and more reproducible. So previously, we focused on imaging automation and automation of image analysis, but now we're moving to the next level and trying to automate entire workflow and experiment that include uh, a number of instruments. So, for example, we created uh, some work cell in um, molecular devices now, which include uh, liquid handler, automated incubator, centrifuge, plate readers, and imaging system, and uh, the robot, which can automate the entire workflow. 
So we have developed workflow for cell culture and cell staining. For example, plates could be moved by robot arm from incubator to liquid handler. And then liquid handler provides media addition or media exchange or could do also cell plating or compound addition and staining steps. And then automation can also uh, provide this robotic arm movement between incubator or liquid handler and imaging system. So the development of organoids could be done over time in transmitted light and then analysis run to kind of monitor their development. And then for endpoint assay, various dye could be and added to organoids and confocal images taken with a follow-up high-content analysis. Like most research, optimization is key. And the more time spent optimizing a process up front in terms of, you know, really understanding the cell biology and all the aspects that are going to go into the culture and the assay and the assay readout or imaging, um, the more that's time that's put in up front and optimizing that, the more robust the, the data collection is going to be and the better quality of the data. So I think it's just worth the investment. I would completely agree with that. So there is a lot of challenges around uh, um, organoid and 3D workflows, and those uh, need additional optimization and uh, using the right tools or right available tools to actually provide the best um, workflow and best analysis for those cultures. But the benefit of using organoids and 3D cultures is so kind of remarkable and the field is growing so rapidly. So I think it is the right time to make this switch to 3D research and actually invest additional efforts into this development. Definitely. Well, thank you both so much to Hilary and Oksana for joining me today for this podcast and for your excellent discussion. It's been fantastic to speak with you both. Thanks so much, Victoria. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to this Drug Target Review podcast brought to you by Molecular Devices. I've been Victoria Reese, editor of Drug Target Review. Keep an eye out for our next podcast coming soon. Mm-hmm.